Welcome to the Interlocutor Interviews podcast. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine. Today I've got with me the Dutch-born artist Martina Johanna, who recently had a solo show at New York's Massey Klein Gallery titled How to Eliminate Stress and Anxiety Through Good Housekeeping, which was her third solo show with the gallery. So welcome, Martina. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Um, so you did an interview for Interlocutor's online edition back in May, um, which was yeah. made up of exceptional questions by our contributor, Isabel Howe, uh, and yeah. equally exceptionally ex- exceptional and in-depth qu- replies from you. And, you know, so like what I'd like to do with this podcast interview is just go back over some of those questions and expand on them, go further into your themes and your creative processes. Um, yeah. I want to start off by just talking a little bit about the show. It featured seven new paintings. Um, yeah. How would you describe those, this series of work that was up in that show as compared to the other uh, recent shows that you've done and series you've done? Yeah, so the uh, the show before that, uh, I had a, a couple of works that were more uh, figures in more an empty space. Like uh, more solitude figures, or maybe you know, two figures. I I always paint, and then it's, there's not a lot of uh, uh, things going on around them necessarily, or it's abstract. Uh-huh. And then, um, I mean, I made this in a completely different time period, just after like the pandemic, and uh, I th- I think life has changed a lot, and a lot of people are online. And, oh, yeah. uh, and a very um, uh, easily triggered and a little bit closed off, it seems. And uh, uh, there's a lot of discussions going on on what is truth or what is fact. Or uh, and I felt yeah. uh, the after in the aftermath of that and my personal feelings uh, uh, about myself and uh, how I experienced the world was much more crowded all of a sudden yeah in, sure. in hindsight you know if yeah. you compare it to the 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 show before it was more quiet and spacious and now i i felt the tension much more so and right. i always express what i feel so um yeah so i i try to really express all those that those feelings of conflict and about advices you get whether you want them or not you know yeah, people right, to live right. your life how to uh deal with mental stress or other things or health or yeah yeah right yeah i mean the the gallery the way that they had written about it basically i'm i'm, I'm quoting um but yeah they had said that the the artist playfully at weighty scenes focused the viewer's attention on the stark duality of reality and dreamlike yeah. escapism igniting yeah. discussions on a complicated identity crisis of yeah. you know, what we are compared to what's expected, projected and demanded from us. And obviously that's really been heightened, you know, with yeah. the pandemic and people being online and people being constantly in their echo chambers, you know, yeah, um, and only, you know, kind of hearing things that they um, want to hear and it kind of shapes your own reality. So, no, absolutely, because yeah. it's all rabbit holes, you know. <laughs> but I, I think, I think, and it comes to expression. I mean, I always have like a full head because I have ADHD and PTSS. Hmm. So there's a, I, I always have noise in my head and a lot of things going on. And then when you go online, the world is so different. And I work alone at home, you know. So. Mm-hmm. And the work is very much more crowded and very colorful, and it's almost over- overwhelming in some sense. But I also also try to keep sort of a balance in it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I all I have this really huge point of reference constantly. All these references in my head, so it's a lot of cloud thinking and free association. What I do, you know. Yeah. And yeah, we're going to get into. Yeah, we're going to get into those references soon. Um, you have a lot yeah. of them in, in these works. <laughs> and I also want to mention to listeners that um, I'll be putting up a page on the Interlocutor Magazine site 
uh, for this episode. I'm going to include a lot of the works um, that we're going to be discussing. Um, also link to Martina's site and your Instagram for people if they want to check, you know, additional work and updates and all of that. Because it's hard to talk about you know visual work, you know, on a especially in yeah. an audio only podcast. So definitely want people to have references. And then also your work is is just like it is a kind of sensory rich for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um and it's it and they look incredible on you know like digitally but then also seeing them in person. I encourage anybody who ever gets a chance to see any of uh Martina's work in person to do it because then it kind of takes on a whole they they really pop, you know, they really take on yeah. a whole different um, you, you see the different textures and you also put a lot of sheen. You do a lot of kind of like uh, kind of with eyes, especially in this most recent yeah. series that the eyes are almost shining when you're looking at them. Um, yeah. But yeah. So we can get into yeah, some I of like that to technique. play with perception and that has to do with like also online, offline experience. Like when yeah. I started my career, I always, you know, seeing something in reality is so much better. And I like to mm-hmm. play with that thing, like you're missing out somehow. Sorry for the FOMO people, but you're missing <laughs> out sometimes when you don't see work in reality. And then uh, when you see it in reality, there's so much more detail and you can really mm-hmm. just it instead of just have a millisecond to click on something you like. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's the tricky thing with so much art now too, because you know so much oh, art is yeah. online and the way that you know, most people can like view art is online, you know, digitally now. Yeah. Um, and you just, it's, you know, it, it's very 2d, you know, even if the paintings themselves are, you know, on flat surfaces in 2d, they're not popping out at you the same way. It's a whole different experience. Um, one thing I wanted to get into a little bit is your background, um, because yeah. that does influence your work a lot. And yeah. I, so I understand that, you grew up in what what sounds like a relatively traditional family and yeah. with traditional gender roles um sounded you know relatively conservative and one thing that really kind of jumped out to me about that is you know it's interesting because i'm in i'm in i'm in new york and i'm american and raised yeah. american obviously and i think in the us there's a perception you know of the netherlands as being this very very liberal tolerant you know um, yeah. kind of paradise almost and i think yeah. that's largely due to the fact that most most people only visit amsterdam too right especially <laughs> yeah. americans so um which can seem like a you know super libertine place but could you talk about your experience growing up in yeah. your part of dutch society and what was that like and how might it might it conflict with these ideas that other people have of the the netherlands yeah well it's it is funny because uh I've lived in Amsterdam as well, and it's uh, uh, very much more a melting pot. It's, uh, you know, it's comparable to New York, except for that it's much smaller and cozy. Um, uh, and I think the liberal spirit, I mean, it is there even in a lot of the uh, religion here. It's the, the Dutch spirit is much, it was very sober, like, uh, and... Um, uh believing in facts and everything very you know uh, <laughs> uh but that has changed since the internet has <laughs> taken over a lot so there's here there's also a lot more emotional triggering going on um but anyway i i grew up in the in the bible belt so we have a bible belt here as well just like in the us it's just <laughs> smaller you know it <laughs> runs through uh holland and it's uh it's also the greener uh, area, which is very interesting. I think uh, that that has the religion the most. And when you are here, like I live there now again in the Bible Belt, although I don't live in a very religious village, it's you can notice it in the villages around a little bit. Uh, very um, uh, uh, traditional and. Uh, and the housing is like the architecture is less interesting, more sober because you don't want to overstate <laughs> a, a higher power. You know, it's very interesting. So, hmm. uh, and then 
you know, now I live here again in, in this area. I feel the contrast much more with Amsterdam because Amsterdam always seemed like an ocean of possibility, right. but it was also becoming an ocean of tourism and a lot of commercial things pushing away the smaller, more quaint stores and initiatives. And it, it began to feel very overwhelming and became really expensive. I think that goes for a lot of cities around the world, actually. But uh, yeah, so that's why we moved to the countryside. Right. Um, I can drift out off sometimes from a question, but uh, yeah. But growing up as a Dutch person, I always felt really lucky because mm-hmm. we have an excellent healthcare system. Like people don't have too much to complain I mean, we have some issues <laughs> right. with governments making mistakes. Uh, that does happen, but it's not a huge problem. Like poverty is quite low. It has gotten a little bit worse, you know, because of the pandemic. And but yeah. we still have a lot of jobs and uh, and we good healthcare, like I said. And uh, climate is pretty mild. You know, when we have a storm, like the whole country is upset, but if you compare to the U.S., it's like a breeze. <laughs> no so, hurricanes yeah. or tornadoes or exactly. Usually. Yeah, no, it's yeah. not something right. like that. So, uh, but you know, you experience where you live in. So people's experiences are always, you know, it's rel- by relative. Yeah. 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 Well, so the you're growing up. I mean, and and, and basically where you live now, it it sounds like you know the the social safety net you know that's one thing that i think a lot of americans are kind of jealous of europe in general western europe you know especially and the netherlands and so you don't have any of that to really worry about it just sounds like personally you grew up in a in in just more of a traditional family and then you've you said that you escaped into cheap dime novels and tv programs fashion machines um Because they were, uh, they provided a, a, an escape, you know, uh, yeah. kind of into an illusory or ethereal world. You yeah. said filled with fairy tale castles and savior princesses. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that that pretty much had to do like with that sort of patriarchal upbringing. Uh, I mean, and my mom had some issues, and uh, she was uh, very neurotic. And that's uh, to say it mildly. She was really, uh, she had a really beautiful side, but we had a very tense relationship. And uh, it was just, uh, yeah, sort of as, uh, as a girl, it was more of a survival for me. My sister was already earlier out of the house when she was 17, and I was there a little bit longer. And I also had a different character, and mm-hmm. our characters clashed. We loved yeah. each other a lot, but she, uh, I don't know, she was always um, very stressed out and tried to so- solve things by trying to take control of her surrounding. And that also meant right. trying to take control of me, of the household. And, um, uh, and don't ask too many questions, which I, of course, did a lot. <laughs> I always ask questions about everything. <laughs> And I was a lot uh, upset about things, why they were like they were. And because I, I felt like uh, as a girl, I wasn't able, especially when I became a little bit older, like in my teen years, it became really difficult to be myself because there were all these rules and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it was very, uh, 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 suffocating. And then, my mom would always take her flight in romance and and like beautiful things and to look at that and then sort of I got also I was always also mesmerized by those things so uh, I think that also was an escape for her trying to take control and trying to view life as something magical at the same time Um, right right but my imagination was much bigger than hers so (laughs) that's uh, (laughs) bigger escape realm essentially but yeah you had you've said that you you or you you like to think of the practicality of coping of of coping skills like there is kind of a practical nature to it and still is yeah 
And so, and, and especially, and so, you know, talking about this most recent show at Massey Klein and the title mm-hmm. itself, how to eliminate stress and anxiety through good housekeeping, because yeah. you were talking about how your mother was very, um, a little obsessive, it sounds like of cleanliness and tidiness. And that was kind of a way to keep a semblance of control and order. Yeah. Right. And then you're commenting on that in the, in the works. And how would you say that, that, that that's kind of being expressed in, in this series? Well, the funny thing is that she never, in her own eyes at least, and uh, never succeeded in that. It's never good in enough. Control? No. Yeah. yeah. It's never good enough. So she had this really bad view of herself and in multiple ways. And uh, so that's sort of also something you feel in the works is that sort of the idea of control and then also the household references. And But there is no control. <laughs> the works are, I mean, there is some kind of structure in the works, of course, in composition, because I always try to do that as well. But there's chaos everywhere also. And... Uh, but it's like poetry to me almost because that's what I like about life. That it's a constant mess that we're trying to mm-hmm. <laughs> get order in, in some kind of way. You we're know? always trying to kind of keep what we perceive as the kind of chaotic nature of life at bay. Right. Yeah. And instead of kind of just finding ways to really live with it or accept it or make peace with it, I think that's kind of a constant struggle. And of course, then going back to the online world and social media, um, what we see of people's, you know, the way that they present themselves, it's curated. This is a very curatorial aspect. Of course. Yeah. And, and everything, we don't really often see the messy sides. And so, you know, in your work, I think that there's almost, there, there's a kinetic kind of energy and flow with a lot of, especially with, your figures, um, you know, mm-hmm. like in, in your, your work that was in this show, turn off the nightlights, there's yeah. four women, right. Yeah. And there is almost kind of like a, um, some kind of narrative almost going on in this. Like there's a, a woman who looks like, looks like she might be crying and then yeah. sort of, this is all the same woman as well. Yeah. Okay. It's one person. Yeah. One person. Um, and also are a lot of these are these figures essentially based on you? Are you are these elements of yourself or how yeah, do you I come think, up with the figures? Yeah, like all the I mean it sounds so self-centered, but the most <laughs> artists. Uh, it's okay to yeah, yeah. That's I, that's how, that, yeah, that's, that's that how artists how, are, right? Yeah. I can only reference how I feel myself, you know, and uh, <laughs> not that I'm I don't have empathy, but yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the, the works are very personal. I don't portray myself necessarily. I, I've done in one work, but, uh, it is like aspects of my personality of how I felt when I grew up. And I think that a lot of girls can relate to as well. What I've, how, uh, what I experienced, and I don't even say that in the interview, but with that work specifically, it is. Uh, I felt alone a lot in my youth because a lot of people were more religious than we were in our surroundings. And often uh, kids couldn't, weren't allowed to play with me because either I dressed too le- liberal or I was, they found wow. that I was strange because I had a big imagination. So <laughs> I would make up stories and I always wanted adventures. I also was always climbing trees. And so I, I wasn't really traditional girl compared to the other girls so i felt alone a lot but it was like i had a sleepover in that painting it's also like a sleepover almost with yourself and being stuck in the room and the room is very it's very girly but we see a television like a window to another world almost Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit also it has references in it of like uh, the twilight zone I don't know if I mentioned the Twilight Zone in this story. I don't know, but uh, the interview, but uh, it's also so. a you lot referenced escape. Yeah, you referenced other media. Um, yeah, the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I wanted to ask you about in a bit. Yeah, I thought that instance. was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, in in this painting, like the final figures are kind of like uh, flying out the window, about basically yeah. to kind of escape. 
Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Flying out, she wants to know the world because that's also what <laughs> I did. I used to stare a lot out of the window at night when I was a little girl. I would stare out the window, open the window and breathe in the night air and everything was so quiet and I was always wondering what was behind the horizon and uh, uh, oh, my parents had a lot to deal with also because uh, I once got caught when I was standing on the windowsill just because I wanted to feel some freedom. They were scared wow. <laughs> I was going to do something to myself, but I was very impulsive. So, but anyway, that that went well. But uh, like, <laughs> happened. But uh, yeah, I was always longing for some more adventure because it's all felt so um, closed off. And uh, so it's sort of an escape work. Uh, and but she is shaped by this whole idea of being a woman. You have to be girly. There's all these like rose tinted colors around her, but it's also a fractured work. There's a lot of abstract things going on. And so you see that there are some breaches of that reality. But while she's grown, she just wants to fly away. And what I found really nice to do was the curtains, they are blown to the inside but they come from the outside i don't know if you notice it but it's a sort wow. of a visual uh, like a, a visual circle uh, that's that right that's like a you know never ending loop because she's always yeah, going to yeah. be in that room somehow because we are all shaped when we are very young and it's very hard to get out of that idea of who, who you are and who you're supposed to be yeah it it looks like she's like there's a massive wind coming through the window and like she's facing a huge headwind. I mean, her hair is blowing back as well. Yeah. Right. So exactly. you don't even know if she's going to make it out the window. Just try. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, we'll definitely, I'll, we'll definitely put this up on the page for the episodes called turn off the night lights. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Let's talk about some of the other references in, in the work. So in, in, and um, you do cite Titian's Venus with a Mirror as mm -hmm. a source of inspiration for the exhibition. And then yeah. it, Isabel, um, the interviewer, asked you about the theme. What themes did you draw from that work and how do they contribute to your work? So do you talk a little bit about that? Especially one thing that um, struck me about your response is you chose the X-ray version of that painting yeah. as inspiration. Yeah. And why did you do that? Well, because I find it so interesting that uh, we uh, used to uh, put painters, and still do maybe from uh, uh, other ages, on a pedestal, like they were perfect and they couldn't do yeah. wrong, <laughs> like heroes. And But then you see when you make x-rays of those works, which we can do now, is that there are layers of other paintings. Often, I mean, Van Gogh had it and Rembrandt mm -hmm. as well. And uh, Pike Koch, which also a Dutch uh, painter. And it's very interesting because, uh, you know, perfection is not that admirable. Maybe it's also like giving in to your own failures. And, uh, you know, uh, and the idea of that a painter, and especially, I mean, then there were a lot of male painters that were being, you know, automatically, uh, women painters were not that well known. Uh, because of our pa patriarchal uh, society structure. Mm -hmm. So then those men weren't perfect, you know? So right. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. And I also, I'm not that much a fan of perfection. I always struggle right. with it myself because I don't want to be a perfectionist, but uh, I am not in a sense, but I'm also very much, uh, I also have control issues. But I like the lack of control and I like the way that he solved his composition in a way that you could never see that it was painted over the painting. And yeah, yeah. So we all try to sort of, and then I go on my sort of free association. We always try to correct everything. Also online, you know, trying to have the most perfect image or be the most perfect uh, person that lives their life perfect or be the perfect victim or be the perfect conservative or liberal or whatever. Yeah. And it, I don't think it's that interesting. It's so interesting to acknowledge mistakes and uh, feel at ease with that as well and being able to name it. So I used it as sort of the background, literally 
as my, from my painting and uh, build up a composition from there. Yeah. Yeah. And your work that references the, the, this painting in particular is called Venus in a mirror. Yeah. And so it is a mirror, but there's like multiple framing devices going on with this uh, reflective devices. Do you talk a little bit about kind of your approach with this work and the compositionally and thematically it's quite striking. It would, I think in the show altogether and the way it was placed in the gallery really kind of leaps out at you. Like you see it immediately. And it's very striking because there's a, a snake involved, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's very, it's, it's very intense. Room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing I was doubting the snake a little bit when I was making it, I think this was the work that I had the most issue with, which I find really funny because the, of the backstory uh, with the titian uh, work, uh, you know, with the failure and everything. <laughs> so I was making that and I finished it last actually. Uh, I started with it and I made the other works in between and then I finished it with this. And it's funny because it has all these layers. It has layers of expectation. It has layers of religion. Like the, I always hated the story with uh, Adam and Eve and the snake and that the, mm. the woman was like the seductor. And I was like, ah, what does it say about the strength of man also? And, uh, Oh, she couldn't have knowledge, you know. I think it's so much layering in that religious aspect that is so demeaning to women. Like, know your place. Uh, you know, and, and the snake was also created by God, if you believe in God. I don't, I don't anymore. But, uh, uh, and, and then there's that snake, and then she needs to be, uh, the, the, the woman that has children. And it needs to be a mother. I'm not a mother. I, uh, yeah, part by choice and, you know, things didn't work out. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it has all these layers and a lot of it is behind the curtain because we as women are not always allowed to talk about it or we are judged by things. You should be grateful. You should be this or that or, and there's so much going on that. When you are a woman <laughs> and also with all the hormones. And so this layering is really symbolic for that sort of, you need to, you're somehow one person, but you're not when you're a woman because you have all these things that expectations, but also expectations mm-hmm. from yourself. And then the inheritance you get from the pressure from your mother and her mother and the mother before her. So. It is very uh, yeah, interesting. So the mirror, uh, when a woman sees herself in the mirror, she sees a lot of expectations, and mm-hmm. and it's really hard to let go. And we all have our coping skills for that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So well, that's what's happening. Yeah, I thought it was really you know kind of striking what you said about the serpent too. You know, going all the way back to this. Adam and Eve story and, you know, guilt tripping women for wanting, you know, knowledge and um, not being uh, obeying, you know, the will of God or whatever. But then you're right. uh, If you believe that God created everything, God also created the serpent, (laughs) the, the, you know, the, the, the devil character, the Lucifer character, whatever. Right. So anyways, that we're going to get into a theological discussion, but (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No. Well, that's my my issue is always that I it expands, you know. That's a good thing, but you yeah. know, it, it's just like that that kind of like origin myth, or you know, especially in Western patriarchal culture, is so ingrained that people don't mm-hmm. even think to kind of question the absurdity of that. You know, yeah. like God is angry um, for being disobeyed, but God created. I mean, you know, I guess you could argue theologically God, you know, did this as a test, but why, if, if God is perfect, why would God need to even do this test in the first place? If, you know, God created yeah. perfect, you know, um, beings and so on, but yeah, yeah, that'll be in the, the, the <laughs> maybe another, uh, kind of theological edition podcast I should start. Yeah, but, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think it's, 
the the trapdoor of religion is i mean it's meant to give direction i think from already when it started a religion is like a a way to keep people on a straight path which I, which i don't mind at all and uh, to have something to believe in in the afterlife uh, because it's very it's a very scary idea to be alone in the universe just you know in the whole philosophy of that so i i absolutely understand why religion exists it's just as soon as a person becomes uh, victimized by a religion because that's helpful for the social structure of hundreds of years ago and <laughs> uh, then uh, you know it can become uh, very toxic and uh, uh, yeah an unsafe place because then women are more often seen as a property instead of an equal human being and I'm just talking about women right now. I mean, there's much more going on, of course, in how people view their own status opposed to others. But yeah, it is problematic uh, religion often and misused also for monetary gain and blah, blah, blah. We could talk for hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then this extends into politics too and all kinds of uh, you know stations in society, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Um, Isabel had also asked you, um, I'm quoting her directly, your prismatic bright hues stand out in, in your works, Good Housekeeping and Turn Off the Night Lights, where the classic 1970s color schemes yeah. interplay with imagery of TV sets and Technicolor television. So yeah. talk a little bit more about that, because those, those also really jumped out at me as well. Yeah. Yeah, so um, when I grew up, I watched a lot of like old shows and uh, uh, that whole color scheme of the 70s, which is very bright and a lot of oranges. And it has this extreme positivity to it, which is very interesting. And somehow in my youth, I really got... Uh, I really hung on to those color schemes because it was <laughs> magic to me. Oh, it when sunlight hits it, and it's so—I mean, it's like uh, rainbows, you know, and uh, and and sparkles, and just really—it's really, it's really um, uh, just like like a garden with all kinds of colorful flowers. It's really tempting. I mean, from nature already, colors right. are either warning or they lure you in, you know. So. And then the television idea uh, and the static. Uh, people now, like the new generations, don't know that. But when you used to put on a television, it would take a while before it was heated up. And then <laughs> right. you got that static, you know, and you saw all those little colors and the teeming dots. And it always fascinated me. I was always wondering what's behind that, like another universe, because I watch a lot of Twilight Zone. So there's that sort of association again. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. So this is sort of a world that has that craving for sentiment because mm -hmm. I, I really like that. I really like the positivity in it as well and the hopefulness, just like in the 50s. That's also the color scheme sometimes also reminds you of the 50s color schemes. The very pastel, bright pastel, it's like optimism. But somehow it's also very... It is very optimistic, but it can also make you almost feel ill when it's too much. Yeah, yeah. That's also very interesting because when you have a lot of color, it's just like too much sugar and you <laughs> feel nauseated by it. You know, it can become very also enclosing and pressured. And so I always like the duality of things a lot that really triggers me like in a good way. Yeah, I find it interesting. Well, for sure. And, you know, in talking about the seventies in particular, like, I mean, I love seventies cinema and also classic shows like Columbo. Like mm -hmm. I've recently gotten, gotten really yeah. into Columbo and really been enjoying just the look of the interiors because I mean, yeah. the color schemes are, you could call them kind of like garish, you know, like it's like bright oranges or like pea greens, yeah. like right next to each other or, yeah. or like, weird shades of like violet you know violet or you know like all kind of clashing 
and yeah. uh, and, and of course the outfits are are pretty uh you know flamboyant as well too yeah. and it's yeah. just like what was going on culturally it definitely wasn't kind of a minimalist perspective you know yeah no that came after like in the 80s and 90s especially but which uh, really reflected kind of the shift in in geopolitics you could say really you know with like reagan and thatcher and just sort of the shift towards the right yeah, starting and te- in the 80s and technology as well mm-hmm. i think uh the the sort of dreamy aspect it had of the 70s it was very much a dreamlike almost like an alternate universe there was a lot of science fiction on tv but then uh in the 80s it became more colder and you had to be a business person and you had the first uh, like mobile phone, which looked like refrigerators, and it was much more like straight and uh, you know colder. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know there were so many things going on that that changed that whole vibe. But I really loved the vibe of the seventies and sixties, fifties also, and, and because it had this sort of uh, very innocent optimism almost. Uh, drenched in almost also like a, a scared for the future and optimistic for the future at the same time, which becomes really, uh, yeah, almost sickening again, which I find really interesting. But it's my it's my perception of a lot of it. I think. Well, yeah, have maybe. you ever noticed, like in in seventies productions, like I'm thinking of seventies film in particular, everything looks kind of even with the kind of popping weird and weirdly juxtaposed colors. There's kind of a yeah. drear, a dreariness to it as well, um, like a muted. Yeah. And I don't know if that had this could be some totally technical thing with the types of film that were being used or the way that things were shot. But I've noticed that everything looks kind of like dreary even with the you know as i said with the with the wild colors which is a weird contrast yeah maybe yeah but uh, yeah if you watch colombo (laughs) (laughs) it also has to do uh, with it yeah maybe that's also (laughs) a sort of sentiment you know Uh, yeah 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 Yeah, it could be i know uh, i had one neighbor uh our house was all colorful with oranges and 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 really bright colors in it and a yellow carpet which was insane. <laughs> and but they had a completely like sand colored interior and with and they were wore sand colored clothes and uh they had uh orangey hair which i find really interesting because it's almost like a movie uh Wes Anderson family they the whole family fell apart in a very dramatic way later on but (laughs) i I find it so interesting because there was this counter style also in the 70s of everything tan in the hollands at least (laughs) everything tan tan colored browns but that was you know in the direction of the 80s already it's like a proto 80s Kind of yeah, expression. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Late 70s, early 80s, then became more dreary. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm finding it really interesting because I never thought about it. Why? I mean, I know, you know, and, and I'm zooming out a lot, but the AIDS came, you know, so there was this health scare all of a sudden. So that also then sex became a danger much more, but I don't know. There is this pessimistic side to, from the 70s to the 80s yeah it just i don't know it's fascinating yeah. well, going back to close encounters of the third kind which sounds like it made a big impact on you when you first saw it as a kid right yeah yeah One um, of the, would, yeah and you'd said that it was an inspiration for your piece glowing lights um, yeah and and but you know I haven't seen that film in years, but you you uh, you made me want to rewatch it because you said you know it is a portrayal of hope within humanity's deep deeply rooted loneliness and longing for something yeah. more, and that's palpable in the film. And this kind of yeah. you know reconnects to what we were just talking about with um, the reason why people attach to religion so much is that fear of of that dread of the existential dread, right? Yeah. Of just being well, what if we really are? just sort of alone and quote unquote, our lives are meaningless. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And so that film that, that would you say that, that, that was one particular piece of media that, that kind of really influenced your, your, your themes and, and your aesthetic. 
Yeah, I think one of many, because I watch a lot of science fiction movies mm-hmm. uh, in my youth. Also, my dad was a big Trek fan. Me too. Oh. <laughs> All of us, by the way, we used to watch Star Trek already with Captain Kirk and uh, until like Next Generation, something like yeah. that. So, um, and uh, I think... Uh, I think that movie specifically I really liked because of the lights and also the the people that were drawn so much with like not so much fear but being mesmerized which I found so interesting because I do have that feeling I mean it's all my personal views you know could be that everybody else thinks differently I don't know but I really feel like this this loneliness I feel that's really interesting and also the purpose of life I think yeah the purpose of life that might not be a purpose it just is and it's really cool that you're alive (laughs) in the first place so when you are alive you should you know make something of it and make it uh, count and then afterwards yeah. you go on, you know, the universe exists from um, energy and that amount of energy always stays the same. I read about it in a scientific paper and I find that also interesting. So we are alive now. I exist from energy. You exist from energy. Everybody does. But when you die, it doesn't change anything about the the amount of energy in the universe, which I right. find so interesting. There's no difference. So we are still there in some sense yeah. uh, in that we just change form, not spiritually. I believe in spiritual things in the sense of making human connection, having an imagination, influence things, mm-hmm. good or worse. But, but not, I don't believe that much in magical thinking. So uh, but I, I find it interesting just from a scientific point of view that that energy remains and we are just happen, we happen to be successful as a species. And I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't need uh, right. aliens for that or God in that sense. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it, or the death. Why, why mean, can't that just be enough? I mean, that is that is incredible in and of itself, right? Yeah. And then yeah. just live a good life. Don't hurt anybody. It's so simple. Yeah. But yeah, don't you know, <laughs> obviously hasn't been simple for us as a species though. We need to no, absolutely complicated. My works yeah. are also complicated. So <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I guess the, you know, the, the, the downside of having the kind of intelligence that we do is the self-awareness, you know, mm-hmm. self-awareness of our immortality. And then, then the bigger questions start getting asked and then, um, ego is a big part of it as well right and Mm -hmm. and this goes back to what you're talking about you know with uh with titian right um with the x-rays and you're 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 kind of throwing like these you know iconic they're they're icons you know like painters like that um kind of knocking them off their pedestal a little bit by showing that you know they weren't they weren't, you know, these these super beings that just like automatically well, created. Of right, of yeah. course not. But but it's so easy, I think, for people to fall in. They want that perfection. They seek that. And I think yeah. you've also talked a little bit about cults and your interest in cults and yeah, the way yeah, that those yeah. kind of unfold and yeah. cult, the cults of personality around that because people are drawn to these yeah. figures that portray themselves as they have the answer and, and they are not make mistakes. Yeah, they're you know yeah. godlike. So yeah. there, there's something in human nature that that really still craves that. Even though if you just take a step back and look at things really objectively, it's like, well, we're already incredible. You know, yeah. that should be enough. So. Yeah, including the mistakes, which is so yeah. interesting. Yeah, read. I mean, I don't know the article anymore. Was was a psych, uh, psychology article, but that the worst things people experience emotionally. And I was really surprised by that is losing face in public, which happens a lot nowadays. And if you compare that to, you know, always wanting to be godlike or, or want to be drawn to someone that you can perceive as a god, it's so interesting because people don't want to lose face. They don't want to be humiliated. So they stick to what they believe and they fight it, even if they know better, just because they want something 
to believe in is so fascinating. I find it so fascinating. To yeah. the point that they'll destroy themselves to make Yeah, and, and lie to themselves and yeah. make bad or decisions, uh, which affect people around them. Uh, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about um, fauvism, because that's a, that's been a big influence on you, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And so this is also the interview that you did um, back, I believe it was in May, um, with... Isabel Howe in Interlocutor. That was the, actually the second magazine interview that you did. You did an interview with us back in yeah. 2020 that was also done by Isabel. And, yeah. and um, so anyways, you, I think that that's when Fauvism originally came up, but what, what, what about that style really is influential for you and appeals to you? Yeah, I think the battle between the colors that, mm-hmm. that was something when I uh, visited museums, uh, when I started to, I mean, that was a little bit later in life that I started to, uh, but uh, those paintings are always the most interesting to me. There's not that they're perfectly painted, but the battle between the colors and like the perception of it. So when you uh, look from afar, you can, it comes alive. Mm-hmm. And I like that how the colors battle each other, but also become something coherent so this again is that sort of the fighting between those elements which i find really interesting and i and that's something i play with but it's always i i i still like if i have some self uh criticism is that i sometimes try to make things too beautiful uh, because that's very satisfying and then with Fauvism, there's a little bit more guts involved, I think, with mm. some decisions. So for me, I always think, oh, there's work to do. You know, I can also challenge myself to make some, uh, I, I now quote, unquote, bad decisions. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm also afraid of losing face somehow. You know, I'm also battling myself and my... Like, I want to make it beautiful. Yeah, but I also want to be excited, you know? And then I have also these battles going on. So I think maybe Fauvism in its color scheme is even more exciting for me than my own work because I always struggle with, like, being accepted and that's my uh, personal issues. Like, yeah, there's always some something going on there, a tension that I really like. Well, in the 2020 interview that you did with us, you said that your work is like a diary. It shows all these stages of your life and your inner inner turmoil. And so uh, you're on this progressive path creatively. And, you know, you've had these struggles of, you know, as you said, making things too beautiful, um, not not showing, uh, you know, as many aspects, uh, you know, of what you're trying to comment on and yourself as you'd like. Um, Do you feel like you're getting freer with that? Like as you progress as an artist? I'm trying to. I have this friend, like I, no, I haven't known him for so long, but he's he's a really critical person from itself. Like he's really like facing facts much more than I am. I'm in like a dream cloud constantly. And then he's um, much more like, uh, don't be that safe. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because then I have a new show coming up in uh, January in LA. And that's the biggest one. Uh, that I've ever done. Uh, so I'm now like really fighting myself. Like <laughs> in the, I'm still in the works of like, uh, uh, like the pre-stage of making the work. And I, yeah. I read these internal battles, like, uh, yeah, how can I uh, be less safe? But I also want to make what I want to make. And then, you know, that's uh, very... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a battle. It's really a battle. To and so this series that you're so you're working on a new series for the show in January. It sounds like yeah, and it's yeah. really just kind of like taking shape. It sounds like at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. like a little bit starting to sketch things, and I have these ideas in my head, and I I want to go on with what I started at Messy Klein the last uh, show. Uh, this one that we are talking about and um, 
but I just want to expand maybe on the themes on the well the themes will be more or less the same because it's my interest but the figures maybe you know uh, I always paint girls maybe I want to do uh, men also or you know I'm I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do and experiment a little bit more trying to break through that sort of being liked thing that I I don't know maybe it's just nah, I, I think a lot of artists probably start struggle with it mm-hmm. to be authentic it's sometimes hard you know in in the sense of not trying to make things so beautiful uh, and beautiful is also you know it's taste and stuff but Right. I'm just right. being influenced a lot by images that I saw a lot on 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 TV when I was little, and those princesses in in fairy tales, and they always look perfect and beautiful, and those landscapes look perfect and beautiful, and so that's a big influence. And it's really hard to get rid of somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't sound like it's anything that you need to get rid of. It's just something, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, it's like a treasure box that you can constantly draw from. Right. Yeah. And you can, you can take those influences and, and continue to shape them and, and different and take them into different creative directions. Um, yeah. and it, it would be interesting also. So you have never, have you ever included a male figure in any of your works? I have, uh, but okay. l- uh, not a lot. <laughs> yeah, I have one uh, uh, that I really liked uh, with a, a woman that's taking off her face and it's green. I can send it to you later, but uh, it's a, a green mask almost. It okay. was from a dream that I had. And huh. this guy is a, a dark-skinned guy that's holding a note. And it's called, the work's called Celestial Messenger. And it's almost like he holds her somehow. And there's a strange landscape around him. It's just from a dream. And then what is very interesting about that work is that you don't know who is the Celestial Messenger. <laughs> he holds a little piece of paper, which I, I always like to play with the idea of perception also for all these works also. Mm-hmm. Like I, I never want to over-explain works but i i really because they also come to me you know i don't i'm not really sure what things are gonna look like until i work really hard on them so but i i really like that work because it's, there's so much uh, story in it and everybody can have their own sort of hero's journey almost in that uh, work and that's what i liked yeah. about it a lot i think it's my favorite work from the last couple of years even Oh yeah. yeah, definitely send that to me and I'll put it up on the page for, yeah. for this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, cause I, I, I haven't looked through, like, I mean, I've looked through a lot of your work, but I don't remember ever seeing a male figure. Almost. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my, I, I painted my husband one time and I've uh, drawn and painted friends sometimes, but not, uh, I don't do portraiture. Right. So, yeah, and then a lot. It's all autobiographical, and I, I, I really like being a female painting females in my female perspective. So then, when right. I paint men in my painting, it's also for me it's strange because then I'm wondering like, what am I trying to say with this? Because it's you know not my. I don't, I wouldn't know how it is to be a man, <laughs> but of course it's not that. You know, I I wouldn't know how to be my uh, my sister, for instance. So <laughs> right. it's you know it's always uh, yeah, but uh, interesting uh, to do something else at least. Yeah. Well, you could also you know in a in a way, um, and I don't know how you would do this, but uh, you know it would be specific to your style. But you know, how does you know this really you know deep rooted patriarchy affect men? too yeah you know in negative ways because i think it does yeah yeah Yeah, i have paintings about that for instance of a a boy wearing uh women's clothes and uh uh standing with a a small girl i'll send it to you as well and there they are in this sort of confetti surrounding with 
in the background exploding bombs. <laughs> like, uh, the, and that was from a couple of years ago, uh, also at Messi Klein. Uh, uh, yeah. Because that it's also interesting to me, you know, how do people identify and survive a world yeah. that is structured according to one view, well, which is, uh, is incredibly difficult. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think in in the U.S. right now, in particular, right, where there 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 are all these, you know, like cultural cultural wars really over like gender identity. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. such a, people are kind of obsessed with it in a way yeah. that I'm not, I'm not sure that's really quite happening in the same way in Europe. I'm not, I'm not sure, but. A little bit. Uh, it is influence here. And mm-hmm. I watch a lot of RM Brown. I don't know if you know him, but uh, he is uh, somebody that uh, does these sort of videos that criticizes the, how, how uh, people make everything into drama. And it's hmm. very fun. But it What's happens the name? Here. Aaron Brown? Uh, no, it's R.M. Brown. Oh. Name, yeah. Okay. R. Brown. It's very funny. I would recommend it to ev- anyone, actually. But Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, the, this constant up- upset is really distracting everybody from truth <laughs> other more significant real problems yeah yeah real problems <laughs> you know real poverty mm-hmm. real yeah. pe- people being victimized uh, yeah. taking things out of proportion making it criminal uh i don't know it's just a lot of it's very tiresome well actually. yeah there i mean there uses the, these like social issues and and you know cultural wars are just really they're political distractions really more mm-hmm. than anything else distracting yeah. from real tangible economic and other, you know, serious issues that impact people. So, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you've got this show coming up in, in January and you said that's going to be your biggest to date. Yeah. In yeah. terms of just the yeah. amount of works. Yeah. It's a big space. It's uh, I think 250 square, uh, uh, not meters, but uh Oh, how, how do you call it again? We have to. Well, it'd, be, it'd be feet. Yeah, plus. feet. <laughs> We're bigger you. than that. Bigger than two hundred square feet. It's not in my system. Feet. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, at Hashimoto Contemporary in mm-hmm. LA. It's mm-hmm. a big space, and I don't know yet how much works I'm gonna make. Uh, just want to be a little bit. You know, want to make bigger works. I want to make small works and like drawings and. A lot of variation, but all in one universe, and then uh, experiment a little bit more. Yeah, uh, what yeah. about ab- abstraction? Because I, you know, like mo- yeah. most of your works are like they have figures; they're figurative, and at yeah. least I haven't seen any purely what I would consider abstract work. Have you no. made anything like that? No, that's just not your no. not your jam. No, no, but I do <laughs> incorporate it a lot in my work. That's true. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. that's what I like a lot, like the the mixture between figurative and abstract, because it's also because it's like little pictures from my brain <laughs> that I uh, paint, and uh, so that's how it looks to me, like uh, movie stills from <laughs> inside of my brain. It sounds yeah. a little bit disturbing, but uh, so but that's also has a lot of abstraction in it, just like a dream, you know. It's never completely real. It's like mm-hmm. this very, uh, yeah. I don't know. the The abstract things I really like because they cut through the images and and they disturb it or they layer it. And then I like the really the combination of the abstract and the figurative together and that they meld together and they become this own world almost. So I never try to replicate reality in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, looking at the the works in, in the, in your most recent series at Messy Klein, um, yeah, that that I, I, the the mix of uh, figurative and the abstraction is very apparent, 
And, and we're talking about kind of like the structures of dreams and, you know, and people talk about that in like, in like films or literature, how, you know, like this is a very dream, like the structure of this narrative has yeah. a structure, has like the weird logic. Cause there's a weird logic to dreams when you're in a dream, even if they're very surreal, everything makes sense to you, you know? Yeah. And, and I've known like with, like when I dream, if I have a very surreal dream, I remember it making total sense to me like in the logic of that world. And then, you know, in my, in my waking state, I'm like, that made no sense at all. I don't understand why that made sense to me, but it doesn't matter. You know, that's the beauty of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's just like a chemical process to, you know, uh, to, to incorporate your day somehow, your experiences and, and uh, be able to stand up the next day and do a new thing. (laughs) Because if you don't dream, then you go insane, they say. Like after a week or so without sleep. Oh, when yeah. You sleep yeah. Deprived, you become, you get hallucinations. I think, yeah, that's also quite, yeah. So it's something necessary. Although sometimes I think, why am I dreaming constantly that I'm in a bus ride in my old town going <laughs> to the station and then I end up back home again, like in a circle? I'm like, that doesn't do anything <laughs> so dreams are really weird and I, uh, last week i had a dream where i was having a really good conversation with einstein in hochdeutsch in, uh, in german and <laughs> but i can't remember what we were saying at all so oh. that info is this lost. is telling you all, all the secrets of the universe you know <laughs> exactly that's always it isn't it and i don't <laughs> work so for me that was really something special <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, dreams can take this kind of mystical feel. And I think just general feel of spirituality and mysticism, um, you know, we want to attach meaning that like a more objective or wider, you know, less objective meaning to it. That's not necessarily there because they feel so deeply personal to us and and that, uh, that immediate experience of having that, that dream. Right. Yeah. Um, and and it does feel very cryptic and mysterious, but then you're, but then you, as you had just said, it's kind of really just a chemical process. It's a way of your, your brain, your mind to sort of sort things out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when talking about dreams, I mean, I don't want to be too much uh, in the association, but I had to think about the, there are dreams that reoccur for multiple people, like losing your teeth. And that yeah. made me think of losing face, you know, when you're, oh, yeah. when you feel like you lose control or other people are watching you and you, you know, you're losing your teeth. It's something like a big scare for people. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So sometimes your mind also reminds you like, okay, hey, there's something going on. <laughs> you're too stressful or yeah, too frightful. Yeah. You have to do something about it. Yeah. And I, I would, I think maybe also you could argue that psychologically it's a way for you to confront these deeper fears, yeah. you know, um, and work through them in a way that's where it's not actually, you're not actually losing your teeth, you know, which is, I oh. think a reason why a lot of people like, you know, like scary films, right. Horror movies. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. To prepare you for horror. horror yeah. Actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a heightened. I have to say though, like, uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but it's, it's, I had uh, EMDR sessions where you uh, relive something horrible that happened to you. And then by doing the exercise, you, the memory becomes less invasive and you don't have it reoccurring anymore, which is really nice. Uh, but EMDR, uh, so. Yeah. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I've never even heard of this, actually. Yeah, it's when you wow. have something traumatic happen to you, and then you can uh, more easily get the stress effect of it. And then wow. I lost my I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what did I want to say? Uh, I don't remember. Well, you know, we were talking about the way the dreams like help us work through our fears, and so this oh, is like yeah. a direct, like real time. Sounds like yeah. through this very specific technique. Yeah, it is. Literally yeah. just learned about right now and looking at yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really EMDR. interesting. So it, it sort of resets 
your the memory becomes less intrusive because you play things that are traumatizing. You play it again and again in your head, and you have triggers. Also, yeah. then uh, make it happen. So it's interesting that your brain has this can have these sort of uh, glitches, you know, and uh, that's also <laughs> a little bit in the work. You oh, see all sure. these glitches of light and of yeah. breakthroughs and uh yeah uh but now uh, my mind is much more at ease i would say yeah it's better but yeah it's interesting how that works oh for sure yeah yeah still don't i still i still don't have my train of <laughs> thought back but that happens yeah well the, there that's just the natural imperfection right there yeah exactly. <laughs> of just living yeah <laughs> Oh, well, you know, it was great talking with you, Martina. Yeah, great talking to you as well. Also, thanks a lot to everyone out there listening. You can find us online at interlocutorinterviews.com, Instagram at interlocutor.interviews, plus visit our YouTube channel. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or donate via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. And I'll be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode.